the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right. Hey, guys, welcome back. It's Morgan. I am pretty excited for this episode because it's just been a crazy news cycle. Uh, We're going to cover all of the important topics, debunk a few things. Uh, Just to get started, we've got China threatening to shoot down Nancy Pelosi's plane. Biden is building the border wall, but won't admit it. The House passed a ban on assault weapons. Speaking of guns, actually, I have an awesome new product that I want to tell you guys about. Um, Sneak peek. It's from Vara Safety. If you haven't heard of them yet, we're going to talk about it later. Stay tuned. And last, most important to me, we are going to debunk the current narrative about the PACT Act for our veterans because I'm seeing a lot of my friends um, really split down the middle on this with their reactions because it did not pass the Senate. And for good reason, to be honest, okay? There were some ugly political games going on behind the scenes, and our veterans got used as pawns. So I'm going to give you a little breakdown of why that happened and what the real solution, the fix is. Uh, But with that being said, let's get started. Okay, I'm looking at a Business Insider article by Bethany Dawson. Listen to this title. In a banned tweet, a top state media commentator reportedly said China could, quote, forcibly dispel Pelosi's plane and shoot it down if it flies to Taiwan. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, So a little historical background for you guys. The CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, has been around for about a century and they've been oppressing the people of China that entire time. They had a communist revolution that put the communists in power. Then they had a cultural revolution. And I've talked about this a lot at my nonprofit where we interview survivors from communist countries. I've interviewed about three or four total survivors from that country so far, and their stories are horrifying. I won't give you a whole historical lesson, but if you're interested, you can go to thefreedomrecords.com. And right now, I we have two that haven't been released yet, but I know there is one up with Xi Van Fleet, who grew up as a teenager under the cultural revolution of Mao Zedong, the communist dictator of China, the original one. And so she was young and experienced what it was like to have regular Chinese education. And then all of a sudden the schooling changed. There were no textbooks, she says, and all they had to read from was Mao's little red book. Now, In previous episodes, I've talked to you guys about the dangerous connection between the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullers, and the fact that there is footage of her being proud that her book was compared to Mao's Little Red Book. And I was speaking to this uh, young person from Arizona who's trying to fight uh, SB 1070. And I was, he, he, he grabbed a book and he said, it's like Mal's Red Book. And I was like, man, that's what I was thinking. And it was just really cool to hear him make that connection. I was like, how about you buy like 10 to 15 of these books and you all have like a youth like organizing group where you talk about it and you really try to engage this. And we can just kind of, we need to build off of this. And- this is disgusting. Anybody that says that is just disgusting. But... Moving forward, over these last 100 years with communist China, as we modernized 
as a world and tech came along and our industry, um, it, it, it turned globalized. Really, we are in a globalized economy. Communist China is still communist and is still very much authoritarian and they use force and they have concentration camps. They are committing genocide. They are still disgusting, but they are able to operate in the market globally and even with us. A ton of our products are made in China, and it's because they have been able to figure out how to weaponize, quote, privately owned businesses that are actually just owned and controlled by the top people in the CCP, the top people in their party. And if they're not, then the business owners are basically controlled by them no matter what. Um, they're able to do this and then compete in the market with incredibly low prices because all of their people are basically uh performing slave work in exchange for not being uh, mistreated by their government. So they're basically told what to do and they show up and they're, they're good little workers. That's for sure. Um, it, it's a really horrific thing. So with China, what we just saw in the last handful of years is the, the attack and the quick takeover of Hong Kong because China thinks Hong Kong is a part of it. Uh, Hong Kong was, not a part of it. It was basically westernized because of an agreement a while back. And then it was just kind of handed back over to the Chinese from the UK. And it's a, a really weird agreement there, but that's a topic for another time. And so people are saying what happened to Hong Kong is probably bound to happen to Taiwan now. And so China has set their eyes on Taiwan, another independent country that they want to take control back of because they think that it's original China. So with that being understood, we now have a situation of our Speaker of the House third in line to the president. So she's two heartbeats away from becoming president of the United States. So say, for example, our president dies, the vice president becomes president and the Speaker of the House actually becomes vice president. If the president then dies and the vice president, who's the speaker, can become president, that means the Speaker of the House is two heartbeats away from President of the United States. So it's a pretty big deal that the following just happened. The article says a leading propagandist for the Chinese government warned that China's military could attack the plane carrying House Speaker Nancy Pelosi if it's escorted by U.S. fighter planes on a much speculated stopover in Taiwan in her upcoming visit to Asia. Pelosi departed on Friday for a tour that could include a controversial stop in Taiwan, the self-governed island democracy at the heart of rising tensions between Beijing and China. Uh, the talking head for the Chinese state-owned Global Times wrote, quote, If U.S. fighter jets escort Pelosi's plane into Taiwan, it's an invasion. The People's Liberation Army has the right to forcibly dispel Nancy Pelosi's plane and the U.S. fighter jets, including firing warning shots and making tactical movement of obstruction. If ineffective, then shoot them down. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he said that about the United States Speaker of the House to shoot the plane down if she tries to go to independent Taiwan. Now, The Guardian, not exactly you know a right-leaning magazine, they called this guy uh, China's troll king and in 2021 called him the most famous propagandist for China, which I found was interesting. He was formerly the editor-in-chief and party secretary of the Global Times, basically their, um, their, their media arm of their party, of the government, where he, quote, helped establish a chest-thumping new tone for China on the world stage. 
It says tensions between China and Taiwan have been high for decades, with China considering the island its territory. In contrast, Taiwan, an island democracy of 23 million that broke away from communist China in 1947, thank goodness that would have been terrible timing to have not done that,、um, sees itself as an independent state. The possibility of a visit to the island by Pelosi has triggered heated rhetoric and warnings from Beijing. Reports indicate that the Pentagon is planning to call upon U.S. warplanes and ships to provide additional security for Taiwan. Near Taiwan, if a visit goes ahead, top military experts on China have warned that a visit to Taiwan by Pelosi could heighten the risk of a quote accident that could spark a military crisis in the region. And so that's really what、um, I'm noticing is people are saying. Yeah, China's kind of crazy. Yes, they technically could do whatever they want, and、um, it is a bit hostile there, and they are a bit chaotic. But really, the big concern here is that just doing this in the first place opens up the opportunity for an accident. So that's the really big risk here.、Um, and I thought that was quite interesting as well.、Um, it says, should she visit the island, approximately 100 miles from China's southeast coast? Pelosi would become the highest-ranking U.S. lawmaker in over two decades to visit Taiwan. Now,、uh, a few thoughts on this that I want you guys to be aware of. First of all, rumor has it that Nancy Pelosi is retiring after this、uh, cycle. The 2022 midterms are coming up in November, and、uh, news around town is that she's done. And so, it would be pretty、um, interesting if she maybe wanted to do her last hurrah and have a little spectacle by doing a tour in a controversial area of the country or something. And and now she gets to have her big、uh, moment. So I've heard that that might have been a play in this, but I would hope that that's not the case. Maybe can we have that expectation, that high of an expectation in this situation? I don't know.、Um, there's also different approaches to. What the solution would be across the board. I'm seeing Republicans and Democrats agree, and then like fifty-fifty on this.、Um, I'm not seeing like one big party split because half of the people are saying that it we need to show strength, and that if China is going to threaten us in such a way, the last thing Biden, a weak president like him, should do is say, "Oh, thank you for the warning. We will we will definitely not be bothering you then."、Um, and people say we should stand up and say, "No, we're going to go visit this independent country. Thank you. You do not dictate what somebody two heartbeats away from the presidency does with their schedule on the world stage. Thank you very much, because that's kind of what it would be if she didn't go." The other ones are saying this is too risky. Stop it right now! You shouldn't have played the games in the first place. This potentially has a political play to it of it being leaked or who knows what. But this is too risky with communist China.、Um, they truly hate us, and they're looking for moments like this. So I definitely see both sides on that.、Um, latest update, though, you guys, is that Nancy Pelosi's schedule has been released, and there is no Taiwan trip listed on it. So. Either they just maybe haven't decided, or maybe they think if they don't list it publicly, then maybe China will calm down. Who knows? I guess we'll have to see. But as of now, it's not on the schedule. Okay, let's move on. This one's hilarious, you guys. You're gonna love this one. We've got Joe Biden, the guy who campaigned on not building one more foot of the border wall. Oh yeah, he's building the border wall. He is finishing. Major areas of the border wall, because it's becoming so absolutely dangerous for the migrants and the people working there. Now, again, Biden campaigned specifically saying not one foot 
of the border wall will be built. He said it was racist. He called it um, a mean and cruel and all these aggressive terms to try and make us seem hateful for building a wall at our border. Well, what happened the day he was put in office? He immediately struck down the future building of anything on the wall. So he took the funds that were supposed to go to the border wall. He took the, the funds and said, we will halt all current building of the wall. Now he's building the wall. And specifically, this is in four or so, I think four or so major holes in the border in near Yuma, Arizona. Uh, apparently, this is where the cartels, this is where a lot of the smuggling is happening with human trafficking. They are bringing groups of people in, illegal immigrants. And these are the really their hot spots. Not only that, but these hot spots are some of the more dangerous areas along the border. And so you're having a lot of issues of drownings and a lot of falling as they try and go over these obstacles that are kind of haphazard. To add the other layer to it, not only is it dangerous for the illegal immigrants that are coming over and being smuggled, but you then have Border Patrol and you have first responders that are Americans that then have to go save the people in the most dangerous areas of the border, in these areas where there's drownings and when there's major areas of falling, and then they have to go save them and put their own lives at risk. And so I, I think things have gotten so heightened, not only that, you also had Myra Flores, and you have a lot of new polls coming out showing that the Hispanics along the border that are legal immigrants, that are Americans and maybe uh, first generation, second generation American born and their parents came here legally, they are not happy with the Democrats. We are nearing the midterms. We are seeing the numbers and the Democrats are hemorrhaging Hispanic voters. So I think this all plays into it. Unfortunately, it's not just the left going, oh, wow, this is a dangerous situation. We should probably act. Nope. I think this is more about a, a political play. But let's watch this video and you'll really, really love this one. I promise. <laughs> Why is the Biden administration building a border wall in Arizona? So, um, we are not uh, we are not finishing the wall. Uh, we are cleaning up the mess the prior administration uh, left behind in their in their failed attempt uh, to build a wall. And I just want to be very very clear here. On day one, uh, we returned the money, uh, the eight billion dollars the prior administration took from our military. We gave that back. Uh, to the military, for military families, for schools, for bases. Uh, that's what that money was being used. That's what it was taken away from. And so, again, what we're doing is cleaning up the mess that the prior administration has done. But President Biden, when he was a candidate, said, there will not be another foot of wall constructed in my administration. Yeah. So what changed? We are not finishing the wall. If walls work in that part of Arizona, is this the administration trying to get migrants to cross somewhere else, like in Texas? What What is the plan? We are not finishing a wall. We are cleaning up the mess that the prior administration made. We are trying to save lives. This is what is this is what the prior administration left behind that we are now cleaning up. By finishing the wall, is this? We are not finishing the wall. By filling in, finishing? We are not finishing the wall. By filling in. Uh, is this is this racist? Because in 2019, when the former guy was proposing a wall, you said uh, that it was his racist wall. So how is this any different? I'm just having a hard time understanding how this is any different. I'm not even sure how you get to your first question, to this question that you just asked me. I will say this. A border wall. I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question. 
A border wall is ineffective use of taxpayer dollars. So it's ineffective of taxpayer dollars, dollars that actually went to the military that the last administration, the prior president, took from the military, which took away from schools, which took away from military bases. That's what that money that he pulled away from uh, to build uh, this wall that he wanted that is ineffective, by the way, which I just said. All right. Big, big news. The next story I want to talk about is the House passing an assault weapons ban. Now, I mean, guys, I run a nonprofit where I interview survivors of communism. I do a show with Turning Point USA where I break down all the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers. I, I love history. And I plan on dedicating my whole future to reforming education. I'm going to homeschool my kids. I would really love to build a community school one day from the structure that I use for my own kids. It's just my little my little plan, you know what I'm saying? Um, and a huge focus of this is going to be the fact that we need to change how we teach humans, especially American citizens, about history, about civics, about government economics, finance, all of these important things. I don't think this is just another subject in school. I think all of these subjects combined, they are really just society. You're teaching people about humans. You're teaching people about how society works. And then you're hopefully doing that with the intention that you're creating responsible citizens that will make the best decisions for the future of society, right? Shouldn't that be kind of the concept? <laughs> I don't know. I just I think that it's different than considering history and civics and government and all of these things as just another subject in school. So I love reframing this topic. And what a great example was it this week to see people's reactions to the House assault weapons ban? Because no, assault weapons were not just banned in America. Instead, the House of representatives in our bicameral legislature. So we have two chambers in the legislature where legislation, where, where bills are created and laws are passed. Only the House passed an assault weapons ban. It now has to be passed by the Senate, which it will not be passed. It will not be passed in the Senate. And then if it were passed in the Senate, it would have to go to the president. Now, so the first concern here, let's address that, that, that idea that Americans saw it was passed in the House and then freaked out thinking assault weapons were banned. It's concerning that we don't understand that process, but that's a fixable thing. So when it comes to frustrating moments like this, where we want people to see what's really happening, we want people to understand what the real situation is, I get really excited about this study from Michigan State University that said one of the most effective ways to reach somebody with an opposing viewpoint or just with a really hard to understand concept that takes explanation and uh, it, it takes a longer time than just a quick one-two punch tweet. You know what I'm talking about? Um, that's actually best done when it's peer-to-peer communication, not some higher authority voice telling you what to think or a teacher or a parent, but actually hearing it from a friend. So I do hope that inspires you guys to understand that when you do put yourself out there a little bit to maybe post on social media or bring it up with friends, bring it up in your social setting, you're actually bringing it up in the most effective communicating style possible. And so keep it up. Keep it up. Make sure you're communicating to them, hey, there's not too much to worry about right now immediately because it's not going to pass the Senate. But yes, this is the second aspect of this, not just the fact that people don't understand our government process. The next step to this is the fact that like, wow, so the left is that radical that they're going to pass something like this if they can. Thank goodness they can't. 
Thank goodness for our checks and balances and our government that intentionally creates a slow-moving legislative process and multiple layers of checks and balances to prevent emotional, radical policy change that could long-term damage the country. That's exactly why our founders did this. So you can you can read all the Federalist Papers, all the Anti-Federalist Papers, all the founding documents, all the letters and correspondence between the founders. And they made a system of federalism where there's federal, so national level government, state level government, local government. There's multiple levels of government, layers, right? And then there's also multiple checks and balances within those layers. And so that's what we see there with two chambers in the legislature where we have uh, the bill has to pass in both and then get signed by the president. And then if the president decides to put it down, guess what? And, and veto it, guess what? If the legislature has enough votes, as in the people support it so strongly because the legislature is the voice of the people because we elect them and then reelect them, hopefully, if they do a good job. If the legislature has enough votes, they can then override the president. And so there's a check and there's a check and there's a check. And it's all to try and prevent oppression and abuse of power. So thank goodness we are going to not see the assault weapons ban pass the Senate. That's pretty much the next step here. But the concern, you guys, is the fact that the left is now so radical that they don't care about the numbers. They don't care that an assault weapons ban was passed um, just a handful of years ago, and then it ended because it was completely ineffective, and we're going to talk about that next. Um, they don't care about that at all. They're driven by their emotions, and they are more set on winning politically than preserving our great country. That's why you see them trying to do things like pass an assault weapons ban, knowing it's unconstitutional. It's why you see them do things like calling for the end of the filibuster, because guess what? The filibuster exists to prevent radical change. It's yet another uh, check provided in our federal government in that layer. And it's why they want to do things like end the Electoral College. It's why they want to do things like pack the Supreme Court. All of these different things that they're trying to rip down from the structure, the core structure of our government, they are all specifically existing to prevent them, these people, from having radical change. And so, yes, that makes sense that the same group that's being hindered by this slow-moving process, by the checks and balances, the same group being checked by the checks and balances of our government are calling for the checks to be removed. You know? I mean, it, it's pretty simple. Um, so that being said, I really like a, an organization called Foundation for Economic Freedom. It's called FEE, F-E-E, -E, if you want to look it up. And they also offer a great... Uh, small copies of classic books like the law um and maybe a few others i can't remember right now but i know that i have a quite a few copies of the law and i give them to people whenever i want to um, make sure that they they've read it if i find out they haven't yet but they have a really cool article on their website by john miltimore it says the federal government's own study concluded its ban on assault weapons did not reduce gun violence so i wanted to read that for you guys because we're going to enter a conversation now as this is definitely one of the biggest national conversations happening. You're going to be put in conversations where you're asked about this. People are going to say, oh, well, we had one. We got to bring it back. We've got to ban assault weapons, even though nobody can define what an assault weapon is. This article will help a lot. It's titled The Federal Government's Own Study Concluded Its Ban on Assault Weapons Did Not Reduce Gun Violence. Let's go. The article says, do something. This is a response and perhaps a natural one to human tragedy and crisis. 
We saw it again after three mass shootings in Buffalo, New York, Uvalde, Texas, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. In this case, the do-something is gun control. In Canada, where no attack even occurred, Prime Minister Trudeau announced the introduction of legislation that would freeze handgun ownership across the country. Handgun ownership. Now, you guys, that's insane. Can you imagine that in America? That's what a lot of people on the left want to do. Trudeau said, quote, what this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. See, I am so thankful for the Second Amendment. I'm sure you guys know that. Um, but also just as a young woman, and I'm a little bit over 100 pounds, I'm five feet tall, I'm pretty tiny, and my handgun that I conceal carry every day is my equalizer. I would feel pretty freaked out if I was a woman in Canada knowing that there is nothing I could do to equalize if I'm attacked by a large man or even a man that's my size. Men are naturally, hate to say it, men, people freak out about this, but guess what? Even a guy that's my size is going to naturally be stronger than me. He's going to have biological advantage over me, even if we were the same size. And so the gun is the equalizer, especially for a lot of younger women and just women in general when it comes to protecting ourselves against men. Oh, and I should say this was written right after the shootings, and so it was in June 2022. But it says, over the weekend, Vice President Kamala Harris called for an all-out ban of, quote, assault weapons. She said, we know what works on this. It includes, let's have an assault weapons ban, Harris told reporters in Buffalo. On Thursday, President Joe Biden called on Congress to pass new gun control legislation, including a ban on assault weapons. He said, how much more carnage are we willing to accept? But here's where the article gets interesting. It says, the 1994 assault weapons ban. A brief history. There are numerous problems with this proposal, starting with the sticky question of defining what an assault weapon is. Assault rifles, which by definition are capable of selective fire, are already banned under the National Firearms Act of 1934. The vague phrase, quote, assault weapon, is basically a tautology. By definition, any weapon can be used to assault someone. So it's basically useless. So like a lot of people point out, you can assault somebody with any kind of gun. Either way, if you use a gun on someone, they're going to be assaulted with it. So it, the language is very manipulative and it more so just freaks people out, right? It's assault weapon sounds scary. And so the article says, we know this because the U.S. had a ban on assault weapons as recently as 2004, something gun control supporters recently pointed out on Twitter. One person said, quote, we had an assault weapon ban for 10 years, from 1994 to 2004. The woman who said this was Dr. Joanne Freeman, a historian at Yale University. She said the world didn't end. People kept their other guns. They bought new guns. It was hardly an attack on gun ownership. The Public Safety and Recreational Firearms Use Protection Act of 1994 targeted firearms deemed, quote, useful in military and criminal applications, but unnecessary in shooting sports or self-defense, end quote. See, you guys, they want to avoid the topic, but let's be clear, the Second Amendment is not really for shooting sports or even self-defense. It's so that the people can rise up against a tyrannical government. But the left really has a hard time addressing that, and then they, they freak out if we say it out loud. But I think we need to normalize that concept and, and get them used to it. It says, Freeman is right that the ban lasted a decade before expiring on September 13th, 2004. She's also right that the world didn't end and Americans continued to use and purchase other types of firearms. What Freeman didn't bring up was the effectiveness, or lack thereof, of the government's federal assault weapons ban. 
Nearly two decades ago, the Department of Justice funded a study to analyze this very topic and concluded that the assault weapons prohibition had mixed results. Researchers noted that there was a decline in crimes committed with firearms classified as assault weapons. But then the study outright says, even though the amount of gun violence with these, quote, assault weapons did reduce during this time period, the amount of gun violence did not. Because any gun violence that probably would have taken place with an assault weapon just took place with a different kind of gun. And so if people wanted to commit violence, they found another means of committing violence. And so if they couldn't have an assault weapon, they just found a gun that was considered legal under the legislation and then committed the same violence that they intended. And the government study fully acknowledged that. It says a RAND review of gun control studies, which was updated in 2020, uh, concluded that there's, quote, inconclusive evidence for the effect of assault weapons bans on mass shootings. Research published in Criminology and Public Policy the same year, in 2020 as well, uh, concluded that bans on assault weapons, quote, do not seem to be associated with the incidence of fatal mass shootings. So that's three studies in a row just in the last handful of years, one including research from the government itself that says, hey, uh, this actually didn't do anything except infringe on other people's Second Amendment rights. So, But then we have President Biden, who claimed that the 1994 crime bill he helped pass, quote, brought down the mass killings. But fact checkers, including these three studies that I just cited, have contested these claims based on the actual evidence. So I, I want to read this last thing, too, because it's quite interesting. Um, I really like this article by John. It says, the problem with the do something mentality. It's unlikely the White House has enough votes to pass a second ban on certain semi-automatic firearms, but it's far from impossible in an environment where so many Americans, even gun enthusiasts and Second Amendment supporters, are increasingly asking politicians to do something. I mean, I see it a lot too, you guys. Even Second Amendment supporters are calling on the government saying, you know, maybe, maybe we do have it too, too crazy out here. Maybe it's too chaotic. Maybe we do need more gun control. So it says, unfortunately, when people say do something, they tend to mean pass sweeping legislation that infringes on the civil liberties of others. Such thinking spawned the super state that sprang forth in the war on terror following the 9-11 attacks. It also produced government lockdowns during the pandemic, the worst and longest oppression in American history, and a host of other disasters. If history's taught us anything, it's that the impulse to use collective force to, quote, do something in the wake of a tragedy or crisis has created far more problems than it has solved. The economic historian Robert Higgs has noted that the most sprawling encroachments of freedom in history spawned during crises and tragedies. They have given rise to tyrants from Lenin to Mao and beyond. Even when powers are relinquished by government, they are rarely relinquished completely, a phenomenon Higgs describes as the ratchet effect. Oh, very interesting. We'll have to look into that. The ratchet effect. That'd be a cool thing to research. Um, it says, when crises occur, governments also certainly will gain new powers over economic and social affairs, wrote Higgs. For those who cherish individual liberty in a free society, the prospect is deeply disheartening. The article closes and says, as we mourn the victims in Buffalo, Uvalde, and Tulsa, we do well to remember that one true moral purpose of government is to protect individual rights and any attempt to deprive humans of these rights for a, quote, greater good is the perversion of the law. Love that. Now, you guys, I have some exciting news. So if you haven't heard of VARA Safety, 
I want to tell you about something quick because I found out that this existed and I have never heard of a cooler product. I've never been so excited for something. As I mentioned earlier, I'm five feet tall. I'm a hundred something pounds and I'm small. And so because I live alone, because I'm always out and about, I travel quite a lot. I go on adventures quite a lot. I'm in my car doing road trips a lot and I'm at home a lot. I work remotely. I need to have a plan for protecting myself and anybody else that's with me. I just like to be prepared. I'm not a prepper. I'm just prepared, right? (laughs) Um, So I've shared with you before the kind of carrying that I do. I conceal carry in the waistband usually with uh, jeans and a belt. If I'm not doing that, if, if for some reason I need to have my gun in my purse, which is usually pretty rare, I have a really cool purse that has a sewn in holster where I can keep my gun. And so I have a small Glock 43X that I usually use and a few others, but the one I really like is the Glock 43X. So this last year, I've really been trying to find the holes in my protection plan. After I figured out the kind of guns that I like to personally carry every day, the one that fits my tiny little hand, the the holster that works with my kind of pants, all this kind of stuff, I started to try and spot the holes. And the one hole that I really noticed was the fact that when I'm trying to get a gun from a safe, it takes quite a while. You know what I'm saying? And so when it comes to self-protection, I like to prepare and train for fast access to my gun. And gun safes are really great especially when I'm at home, especially when I have little ones that are running around. I don't have kids, but I'm about to enter that phase. Probably I'm 25 and all my friends are starting to have kids. And so it's no more um, being so lax about having a firearm in my home because I live alone and I don't have anybody to really worry about. I really need to start considering this stuff. And I know a lot of my friends have kids now. So with that, a lot of us want to put the gun in the gun safe and that's great, but it's really hard to access quickly in an emergency. So that's where I really think Everybody needs to know about this this product. It's called Vera Safety is the company, and it's called the Reach 2S. The Reach 2S is different from a standard gun safe because it's a hybrid between a safe and a holster. I kid you not. <laughs> it looks like a, a sleek metal holster, but it keeps your gun locked in and secure, and then you can mount it next to your bed or in your vehicle. So I have mine by my bed, and then I'm also getting one put in my Forerunner as we speak. So get this, this is how it works. To use it, you grab your gun from the holster, right? And your thumb naturally lines up onto a fingerprint sensor on the safe. It's just like drawing from a holster, but only authorized users can unlock it because of the biometric sensor. How cool is that? And so this is what really made it a game changer for me. As soon as I grab my gun, I know that it will unlock immediately and I am already set up with a proper grip. It eliminates all the extra steps in other gun safes, which take up really valuable time if you're in a scary situation. So then to secure your gun back in, you literally just holster it and push down the lock. Super simple. The Reach 2S is what it is called, you guys. It's at varasafety.com, V-A-R-A safety.com. But even cooler than this, get this. It's the fastest way to get my gun. It checks all the boxes for security and reliability, right? But then I found out that they are by my hometown. They are literally based right by Saratoga, New York, where I'm from, where my family still lives. And that makes it 10 times cooler. And so I'm really hoping that I get to go meet them soon. That would be awesome. But they are based right next to my hometown in Saratoga, New York. They build their product here in America. And the more I find out about them, the more impressed I am especially after seeing their team, seeing what they're all about, and the fact that they wanted to build this great new safe option for people that would create safety in the home, 
especially when there's kids around. You do not want kids grabbing those firearms that are just laying about, but it also allows for immediate use of the firearm if the authorized person is putting their hand on that holster, and I think that is awesome. So that being said, this is the Reach2S at varasafety.com, V-A-R-A safety.com. I hope you guys go get one. I have one in my bedroom, but then I also will be having one in my Forerunner because I go out uh, on adventure trips all the time. Once again, V-A-R-A safety.com. I think everyone should have this in their home in their car. Um, I'll tell you more about that another time, but you guys, if we're seeing things like the left promoting an assault weapons ban and we're seeing the the villainization of people that just want to legally own and operate firearms, especially for the safety of their families, we need to be practicing safe procedure. We need to be making sure that we are going by the book and we are doing everything we can to keep everybody safe. That being said, let's get into that last topic. Okay, so last thing that I wanted to read for you guys, we have a whole mess going on with this Pact Act drama. We have a political game taking place. People are being lied to, people are being tricked, and I don't like it. So if you guys saw this, you probably have because every major news station posted it, every major media company shared it, and every politician and person on the left shared it too. It was Jon Stewart, the comedian, ripping Republicans for not voting for a bill for veterans. Here's just a little clip of it. I'm used to the lies. I'm used to the hypocrisy. I'm used to the cowardice. I've been here a long time. Senate's where accountability goes to die. These people don't care. So from the start, you look at that and you go, oh, wait, why would Republicans do that? Why would anybody say that they would vote for a bill for veterans and then not vote for the bill? And lie to people's faces. That is evil. Even I was like, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. Because you guys, if if I found out that there was bad things happening behind the scenes, if I found out that they actually were lying and trying to disrespect our veterans, I would tell you that immediately. That's what this episode would be about. But no, I did my due diligence, just like a lot of people are right now. And a lot of people did after we saw that Jon Stewart video. And we said, wait a second. What's actually going on here? Well, it didn't take too long for me to find exactly what happened. The left changed the bill after these senators said that they would support it. What did they do? They added about $400 billion of potential unrelated spending into a veteran care bill. So yeah, then the the Republican senators that are super on board with the PACT Act said, Hey guys, um, we're not going to vote for this until you take that out because it has nothing to do with caring for our veterans. Take it out and we'll vote for it. We said we'd vote for it and then you added this random thing in. We're not going to vote for it just because you're going to play political games right now. That's what's happening here. But what's the spin? The spin is that oh, the evil Republicans won't look past a little $400 billion addition and they're hurting our veterans and it's just horrible. You guys, bull crap, okay? I have been in veteran services and involved in the veteran community in my hometown and beyond since I was in high school. I was an officer of the Veterans of Foreign Wars Ladies Auxiliary when I was like 16, okay? I take this seriously. You can trust me when I say this. You are being lied to by Jon Stewart and these people, and it's very unfortunate that they are trying to simplify such a complicated issue. Do not fall for the political games. Yes, I hate to say it, but politicians in D.C. try to sneak things into legislation 
that they know the other side will look really bad for not passing like a veteran care bill. Very sneaky on the Dems part. So one of the videos I want to show you is Senator Pat Toomey explaining what happened on the floor of the Senate. This is him. He's on the floor of the Senate saying, hey, I really like the concept of this bill and you guys just need to take this out. Keep in mind, what's the solution here? Just like the assault weapons ban, everybody's up in arms about this. The assault weapons ban will be struck down in the Senate very shortly, like within days, maybe even tomorrow. I don't know. Same thing with this PACT Act. It's not dead. There's still plenty of opportunity to just remove this mess and then go back to supporting the original concept in the bill. And that's what the Republicans are ready to do. This thing could pass very quickly. So, again, don't get played by the emotional political rhetoric. President, I I wanted to make just a a brief comment about the uh, uh, cloture vote that just occurred shortly before the senator from Rhode Island uh, sought the unanimous consent agreement. And as you know, cloture was denied on that bill. And as you also know very well, that doesn't mean the bill is defeated. It simply means that the opportunity to amend it doesn't, uh, isn't eliminated. There haven't been any amendments. Uh, that's unfortunate. But, but what I want to just stress, my concern about this bill has nothing to do with the purpose of the bill. It's not about the $280 billion, approximately $280 billion of new spending that is <clears throat> meant <clears throat> to be required under this bill for the VA to cover Medicare and other uh, health care, I should say, and other benefits for veterans who are exposed to toxic burn pits. What I want to change has absolutely nothing to do with any of that. I see the chairman of the Committee of Jurisdiction. I think he understands that I have no interest in modifying the purpose of this bill, all the work that he and many others have done. And by the way, I suspect there's 85 votes for this bill, for the underlying bill, if we fix this problem. And here's the problem. Completely unrelated to the $280 billion of new spending, there is a mechanism created in this bill. It's a budgetary gimmick that has the intent of making it possible to have a huge explosion in unrelated spending, $400 billion. This budgetary gimmick is so unrelated to the actual veterans issue that uh, has to do with burn pits that it's not even in the House version uh, of this bill. So the fact is we can fix this tonight. This is relatively easy fix. There might be a few technical things we'd iron out, and we could get this done tonight. And I know the chairman of the committee very much wants to get this bill done. This is the path to do it. And if we fix this, which as I say, I would recommend we fix it tonight. We could do that by a a unanimous consent request. We 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 could do it any number of ways. But once that's done, this bill sails through this chamber and goes to the president and get signed into law. So I just want to urge my Democratic colleagues to join me in working this out. This is not what this bill was about. We can fix it. We can do it immediately. I yield the floor. The next thing I want to show you is Ted Cruz, because Ted Cruz and Jon Stewart started getting into a tiff. So then Ted Cruz even released a video explaining, and it's just Republican after Republican is coming out and having to clarify the very basic concept that, yes, We need just one thing changed, and then we will support it. We are not villains. We are happy to explain why we did not vote for this. This is not us hating veterans. We very much support them. We just need 
common sense brought back into this process. And it's the left that's playing politics. It's a dang shame. John, you're a funny guy. And I appreciate your engaging on issues of public policy. That's a good thing. But if you're going to do so, the facts matter. Listen, when it concerns the PACT Act, I support the PACT Act. I voted for the PACT Act. And I've advocated for it for a long time. We have an obligation to take care of our veterans, particularly those who were wounded or injured from burn pits or, or in other ways from combat. The issue here is the Democrats included in this bill, a, an accounting gimmick, where they took $400 billion of spending, discretionary spending, they shifted it to mandatory spending. Didn't change the amount at all. But the reason they did that is it created a hole for $400 billion in new discretionary spending. Their objective, they want to cram $400 billion in unrelated spending onto this bill that has nothing to do with veterans. Now, given inflation that is skyrocketing this country, I think another $400 billion in spending is irresponsible. We made very clear to the Democrats, to Chuck Schumer, that if they passed Pat's Toomey's amendment and they just shifted the spending back to discretionary, kept it exactly at the same level, but got rid of the hole for the unrelated pork, that this bill would have passed last week with an overwhelming margin. The Democrats decided not to. They wanted to play politics instead. Let me be clear. I support every single penny of the $679 billion of funding for veterans' health care. And I'll say this also, John. If you actually want to see this bill pass, if you're not just playing partisan politics, it may not be the best idea just to scream expletives at people who support the bill that you want to see passed. There's a very easy way to, to get it passed, which is for the Democrats to stop playing budgetary games, stop trying to fill the bill with pork and exploit veterans, and instead focus on veterans' health where this bill should be focused. Now, the last thing I want to say before I leave you guys is if you don't know the Hunter 7 Foundation, you got you got to go follow them, okay? They've got a website. Look up Hunter 7 Foundation, but also their Instagram is Hunter 7 Foundation, at sign Hunter 7 Foundation. Spell out the word seven. So the Hunter 7 Foundation does this work daily. They are one of my favorite organizations. Like I said, I've been active in this kind of stuff for a long time, and I really appreciate the work they do. So they posted after this first really took off, and this was about three days ago, and they said, why are so many politicians voting no against the PACT Act? And not only did they address the fact that, hey, things got political, people are playing around with, with money and with spending and with allocations, but they brought up another good point. And they said, the PACT Act was pushed to the Senate for a vote tonight and failed to pass the 60-vote threshold. Now, we will never claim to be politicians or legislative subject matter experts. We are medical providers. We provide health care for those in need, and we advocate for our patients. We've had many reach out and ask us about the hashtag PACT Act, the multi-billion dollar bill that has claimed to help save veteran lives. In reality, and from a medical perspective, we are sorely disappointed in the lack of actual life-saving measures and methods that would be enacted by this bill. We were able to confirm no medical or subject matter experts were included in the formation of this bill. We also requested the medical diagnoses and included cancers be reevaluated by the level of mortality and severity for inclusiveness and prioritization, but we were denied. We requested consideration for cancer screening and early identification be included for, through secondary prevention measures, but unfortunately, it was also denied. In fact, in the full 150-page bill, we checked how many of the following words were used. Compensation, 20 times. Benefit, 
39 times. Presumptive, 60 times. Screening, 10 times red flag. Prevention, zero times red flag. Red flag emoji. What we hope is relayed is that one, screening leads to medical assessment. Two, medical assessment leads to a diagnosis. Three, a diagnosis leads to compensation and disability. And actually, a diagnosis is required for those two things. It is a process. The VA will not service connect symptoms. A diagnosis is needed. The moral is there are two sides to every story, and there's a motive and reason why people do what they do. Ours is to prevent as many deaths as possible. And if members of the Senate voted solely based on political party affiliation and insufficient allocation or dedication of funding instead of actual systematic improvements to health care systems and delivery, all we can say is politics and health care should never cross paths. Oh, whoa. Okay, what a way to close it. So that's a good point of, listen, you guys can talk about the political games the politicians are playing, but all of them, this is a good question posed by Hunter Seven, I would say, all of them should really be asked, what in the bill do you think is going to help? And why did they support a bill that doesn't talk about preventative care and screening? But you guys, that's a topic for another day. I hope you learned a lot. Wow, what a lot of topics. Um, if you guys want to go to get your safe and holster combined like I have in my home so that you have easy access to your gun. I think it's like 0.2 seconds or something that it takes for the thumbprint to register. And then all of a sudden your gun is in your hand, ready to go in a situation of an emergency. If you want that, go to varasafety.com. I have one in my home, one in my car. I am so thankful that it exists. This is the kind of innovation that I love. Again, Vara Safety, awesome stuff. I uh, hope you guys have a great weekend and thank you for listening. Bye-bye. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.